So for those who really haven't been with us this month, it's a joy to have you here, but I also want to kind of catch you up. We've been going through really our mission statement, um, why For the City Church exists, why nine people moved to Greensburg. Uh, it's a great city. I enjoy it. They got good food. They got, they got gr- good coffee, and I would name all my favorite spots, but that's not what Sunday's for. But I want you to know, I really enjoy this city. But I got to tell you, I really enjoyed where I used to live. So that's not why I moved. We moved to plant a church or to see God plant a church through a people who were going to dedicate their lives to this mission statement. And so there were nine of us who did that, if we count our kiddos and um, our teens. They're not kiddos, right? They're young adults. But um, then there were a handful of other people who, who just sold their, their, their stuff, right? Not all their stuff because they needed stuff, but they got rid of their apartment. They got a new apartment, and they moved here. They moved here. They changed job locations, or they went remote, or they commute really far. Um, and, and, so, and along the way, the Lord has given us people to say, oh, I want to be about that. And, and that's many of the people that are here. But as we go... There's more people that we've come in contact with, huh, Evie? And, right? Like, and, and you're like, no, this is my people. And so God's doing this work. But why does this people exist? That's what we've been talking about for the whole month of January. And so just to recap, the first, the first Sunday we talked about is we exist to magnify, magnify Christ. That's the apex. That's the mountaintop, right? Why we exist is to make like telescopes the, the greatness of God come into reality, a stunning reality, into the people's lives through God's people, right? Like a city that is planted on the hill, we shine in a dark way. Like this is a dark city, we shine bright, and we say, that's because of him. We point to Christ, right? Then, then how do we do that? Primarily, last week, we talked about by making disciples, Jesus followers, who are distinctly aiming towards magnifying Christ. And we, we say that in a way that to show and to share, lips and life, the transforming power of the gospel. So a very distinct people who are aiming to do that in everyday stuff of life, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesdays or whenever we gather in a small group, but whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, you're doing all things in a way that says Jesus is great, right? And we do that in the everyday stuff of life. Well, today we're going to talk about multiplying churches. So that's the third, let's call it, section that we're going to try to tackle, right? So we've really went to great lengths to say, you see this in the Bible. And if you missed those sermons and you want to go back and hear them, you can always do that on our website. You can pick them up, you can queue them up, you can keep up and follow along from there. But, but we really went to great lengths to say, magnify Christ, make disciples, here it is in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, we do that, right? So let me ask you a question. Where in the Bible are we commanded to plant churches? You don't have to answer me because honestly, there's not a place. And you might be thinking, well, that's weird. It's in your mission statement. That that is strange, actually, right? Because everything else we've said, we pointed to numerous texts. It wasn't just some obscure thing. It was... like glaring all throughout the Bible. Jesus says it, Jesus says it, Jesus says it, therefore we do it. Plant churches isn't in the Bible, and then you've got to be thinking, oh, then why are we doing that? Right? I hope that's what you're thinking, because that's what you should be thinking. If it's not there, and if Jesus never commanded us to plant churches, 
then why is it part of our mission statement? Why is it part of our focus? Answer, because it's the first thing the disciples did when they responded to the great commission of Jesus. Now, we're going to work to explain that actual thought and the movement of the gospel today. They, they planted churches. That's what they did. So, so church planting is what happens when you focus on making disciples. It just is what happens, right? So Peyton Jones says it this way. He says, church planting is not the cause of anything in the New Testament, but rather the effect of carrying out the Great Commission. So let's do some work in the Bible. And let's, let's, so when I say it's not a command in the Bible, I'm saying, but it's all over the New Testament. You can't read the book of Acts or any New Testament letter and not see the church front and center. It's just not a command, go do this thing, because this thing is what happens when you do those first two things. When you magnify Christ, when you make disciples, what you end up with, if you're doing that properly, is a church body. And if that church body is healthy and it is good, guess what it will do? It will reproduce, and it will do that to the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus said in his great commission, right? So point one, Jesus promised to build his church. And I see that in Matthew 16, 18, okay? So you can just listen along as I read. Jesus says this, and I tell you, and you is Peter. He says, you are Peter, right? And on this rock, let's pause for a moment. At this point in the book of Matthew, the, the, the apostles, the disciples, they, they, they know Jesus is like pretty amazing. They've seen him do some really stunning things, but they don't know he's Messiah. They don't know he's Christ. And if they do, they haven't actually said it. But in this moment, Peter, he confesses Jesus as the Messiah that has always been promised. And Jesus says that, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, what is that rock? Well, that's a good question because churches divide over this actual thought, right? This is how you end up with Catholicism and Protestant Reformation. Why this matters is because I'm going to tell you my thoughts on the actual word because it matters for what we say we do, okay? That rock is actually an... an a, apostolic word a confession a message it's on that message that i am messiah that i'm going to build my people it's on that you're going to be a people of a message okay and so that is the word rock he says on that message i will build my church because as that message goes out it's powerful and as it goes out and people hear it and people repent and people believe, they are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of my beloved son. Me, they're going to be in my kingdom. That's my church. That's my people, right? And he continues on. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. By the way, just a side note, gates, we often read that text. And we think, man, like hell is on the offense. It's going to take over the kingdom of light. Gates are meant to keep people out. It's, it's a defense, right? Jesus is saying, we're going on the offense. We're going to storm the gates of hell. They can't keep us back. That message will prevail. As you go and as you're an ambassador in the city or wherever you live and you proclaim me as the risen Savior, people will be transferred from the domain of darkness into my kingdom. It won't prevail. I will win. I will build my church. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in this moment. So church planting is not ultimately, listen, not ultimately dependent upon human initiative, human wisdom, or human perseverance. What that's called is church starting, 
All right? And I'm not going to get into all the details of that, but church startings, when you start with like a sexy logo, and I like our logo, by the way, I think it's pretty sexy, right? You get this nice website, you get, you know, some like hipster pastor who comes up and drinks lattes while he talks to you and sits on a chair, and it's more like a TED talk, and it's, it's all these awesome things, and you got like the rock star worship team, and like 50 or 60 people move to a city, and everybody says, wow, that church doesn't stink like mine, I'll go there. And so all you do is shift sheep from one pen that kind of smells to another pen that eventually will smell. So that's church starting. That's not church planting. What we're seeking to do here is church planting. Church planting. And so church planting is ultimately dependent upon the power, the wisdom, the faithfulness of Jesus to keep the promise that he said he would keep, which is I will build my church. I will build it. Now, it doesn't mean we don't work and have our mission, you know, our website and all these different things. We do, but if if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up and doesn't bring people from darkness to light, then all we're doing is playing church. It's all we're doing. We're starting a social club. Maybe it's a, a religious social club, but it's a social club nonetheless. We're not seeking to do that. We have enough of that already. Uh, quick story. Uh, last year when we had Snowmageddon, I was out and I was shoveling and I was about... I don't know, 14 days clean of the COVID, right? And I'm out shoveling, I'm dying, but I want to serve people. And plus, I'm sick of being cooped up. And here comes this girl. And this girl has lived a rough life. Now, I know this girl now, but this is my first interaction with her on the street. And she's just like, who are you? Like, this is after a lot of conversation. Like, why are you shoveling? Hey, we're just talking. Who are you? Why'd you move here? I was like, that's a great question. I told her, hey, uh, we came here, a handful of me and a few other people, to plant a church. And at this stage of the game, I think I was depressed and I had COVID and all these things. I'm like, why did we move here, right? And then I just need to be reminded of Jesus and his promise. And she's like, don't we have enough blanking churches in Greensburg already? And you can use your imagination. She said Farfandugal or whatever. Churches already. And I thought, I like you already, and I do. I mean, this girl's awesome. I was like, you know what? In what you, I said, define for me a church. So she did, and I said, well, based on your definition, we have enough of those. I wish some of them would close. Because what she said was just dead buildings with uptight people who just point at everyone else and say, how bad you stink. I said, but here's what we're seeking to be. And she goes, well, I can get down with blanking that. I was like, well, okay, but she still never got down with it, right? So she wasn't being honest because uh, I've invited her in many times. But here's the thing. Jesus builds his church. He promises to do that. How does he do that? Point two. Jesus builds his church through disciples who are equipped with the word of God and empowered by the spirit of God. By the way, to answer the question, we don't have enough churches. In Greensburg. In Westmoreland County, there's about 380,000 people. I rounded up just a tad. My guess is 20,000 of them, and I think this is being generous, are probably saved. And if you're good at math, and even if you're not, you could probably do that. That means there's 360,000 people left to go and to bring the gospel to. We don't have enough healthy gospel preaching, teaching, Jesus-loving churches that seek to magnify Jesus, make disciples, plant churches that will do the same thing. We don't have enough. As a matter of fact, many people are closing their doors. 
Many people are giving up. They think that the church is it's outdated. Now we got to go get an avatar and do that and like have space church, right? And I'm not going to get into all of that, but I want you to know much of that's not church. You might be able to get a convert through that. I'm not saying you couldn't be effective through that, but that's not a church. So what is a church? Well, we're going to talk about that primarily today. But before we do, I want you to see, once again, Acts 1.8, we need power. Man, we need power. Jesus says, I will build my church. He does it through us. He empowers us. So Acts 1.8 says, but you, talking to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, so after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, the disciples listened and obeyed Jesus. They went, they waited, they prayed. Jesus poured out his spirit upon his people and then the, began the commissioning of the church. The next thing we see actually after that mandate, the mandate, by the way, is to be witnesses. Witnesses to what? To, to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the mandate. You are going to testify. You are going to witness to the things that you have seen and to the things that you have heard. All right? And so they go. But notice, where do they go? These are real locations. Like King Jesus is, you know, we, there's, there's so many ways and pictures that we see throughout the scriptures, right? He's a, he's a lowly shepherd. He's so patient. He's so kind. He's so gentle. But there's a, he's king. And King Jesus is giving a commission, a mandate, and the plans. And he's saying, strategically, go to Jerusalem. And, and if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you'll see that chapters 1 through 7 is all about Jerusalem. That's ground zero, right? So if you're into like zombie apocalypse movies, right, the red dot starts in Jerusalem. And then it starts to spread from there. And before you know it, the whole thing's right. Ah, the world's coming to an end. But that's not what Jesus is doing because he's not a zombie. He's actually bringing about light in a dark, dark world through a message, but through a people. Okay, so then where do they go next? Judea, Acts 8. Samaria, Acts 8. By the way, everything seemed to be held up at that moment. And... and, and it's like, you're going to the ends of the earth, but they were all huddled up just working with Jewish people. And in Acts 8, so you got Acts 1-8 and Acts 8-1. Don't forget that because something very important happens in that moment, and that is persecution comes into the church. And it says that they were all scattered except for the apostles. That means everyone else, not the big 12, they go. And when they go, they go about proclaiming the good news of Jesus and the and you cannot restrain it. Just like the zombie apocalypse, only way different. The gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. It just does. It just does. And I'm not saying that happened because they were disobedient. But I want you to know this. Jesus was committed to building his church. And so you're huddled up in Jerusalem. You're huddled up in Judea. You're huddled up in Samaria. I told you to go. I'm not saying, but I'm saying like it was kind of like an enema that got the church to move where they were supposed to go. You can laugh at that. That was funny. If you don't think it was funny, I apologize. But I want you to know that's exactly what got the church going. It was persecution. Why? Because Jesus was committed to doing what he had promised he would do. The, procl the proclamation of Jesus as Lord is central to the book of Acts. Central to the Bible. 
not church planting. It's the overflow. It is what happens when we obey Jesus. Okay? The next thing that happens, though, after Acts 1-8 is Peter gets up and he preaches at Pentecost. And what happens there is 3,000 people respond in repentance and faith and putting their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and as Savior. Okay? That's a good day. We've been at this for a little over a year. That's a good day. When you stand up and you proclaim Jesus as Lord and 3,000 people respond in repentance and faith, that is a good day. But guess what? They had to figure out now what to do with 3,000 people. And at that time, very conservative, they probably had maybe 120 very committed followers of Jesus. Now you have 3,120 people. What do we do? Well, we can't meet at stage right building because we can't fit 3,120 people in here. So what did they do? Well, that's, they, they planted churches. And you're going to see that. Jesus builds his church by his word. Never forget that. This is why we will, in everything we do, through singing, through preaching, through teaching, through praying, through small groups, through when our kids' ministry starts to go, it will be teaching the same big God that you're hearing about from the Bible. We're committed to that because if you don't do that, you're not building a New Testament church. So we're committed to that. Just as God spoke all of creation, think about this, into existence with a word in Genesis, he speaks this new creation, this new people, this new community into existence with that same powerful word. This is the birth of the church right here in Acts chapter 2. It's imperative we understand that what the church is and what it's to be. You know, many people today, and I get how we got here, understand the church primarily as a building, right? And you may have even thought that. At one time, I thought that. I understand how we got there because there was much bad communication throughout the years, right? Um, and, and we used to do the hand motion, right? Not a gun, right? But like, what is this? What is this? This is a church. What's this? Steeple. What are these? Door. And what we do? We open them up and what? There's the people. Wrong. But my Sunday school teacher said so. Wrong. You could get rid of the building, you could get rid of the steeple, and if this group of people loves Jesus and other components are committed to what he has said and following out the Great Commission, this is your church. This is your church. The people. The people are your church. This, this matters. Because when, when about uh, 10, 11 years ago, when Indiana, uh, a church I used to pastor, came to be, through proclamation of the gospel. Amazing story. Don't have time for it. I remember we started on the fourth floor of a building. And I remember a handful of just well-meaning people. Um, and, and some of them were Christians. were like, how are you going to have a church on the fourth floor of a building? You ain't got no steeple. That's how they said it, too. <laughs> Where are your pews? And, and, and I was sad because here you don't even know. We could have one in the basement, right? It's where the church comes together is not the church. So this, is, this building, although I'm thankful for, is not the church. Why do we even gather in a church? Because we live in Western PA. It's freaking cold this week, right? That's why we gather here. We're thankful for a building. But this people that the Lord's bringing together, that is a church. 
Okay? So think people, not building. Um, give you a Greek word. I don't know Greek. Don't think I'm smarter than I am because I'm not. Ecclesia or ecclesia, however you want to say it, which is that is the, the New Testament Greek word for church. And what it means is assembly, a called out one. And I'm telling you right now, this matters. You might think, this doesn't matter to me. It needs to matter to you because there are times where I meet with even pastors and they don't even understand what a church is. And it breaks my heart. Jesus is building his church. We better know what that is. We better know what that is if we want to be a biblical New Testament church. The, the true essence of a church is not a building, but of a people. Okay? And how we know that is numerous texts, but I'm going to skip a few of those. Let's get into the main text for today. All that was introduction. Just kidding. It was helpful, but really, this is the text I want us to work at. Look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. Where we're picking it up, by the way, is right after Peter preaches at Pentecost, 3,000 respond in repentance and faith. This is what happens next, okay? So, give you a moment. I hear you turning. That's a new sound. I like that. I'm excited to hear it. Good job, church. I want to see you with your Bibles in front of you. It could be electronic. It could be paper. But it's good to have it in front of you. So I'm going to read it in whole. All right? And you can follow along. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they, that they is those who repented and believed. Okay? Just right before that. Devoted. Mark that word, underline that word, highlight that word, notice that word, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just a word of, of, of really, I guess it's caution. Anytime you read the Bible, you have to understand, is this prescriptive or is this descriptive? Is this something I have to do? So I just read that. Do I need now to go sell all the things I have and lay them at the apostles' feet? Well, hey, it's going to be hard because the apostles aren't here, right? And no, you don't have to because it's describing a particular thing at a particular time that was happening. But that doesn't mean that in this, this text, there's not many things that we need to learn and apply into our own context at this particular time some 2,000 years later, okay? Now, there are direct commands in the Bible that we need to absolutely obey, but this is describing what happened in that moment, but there's so much for us to learn here, so let's do that. Um, what is a church? I'm going to give you the most simple definition, and it's a quote by a man named Mark Dever. The church is the body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him together by serving him in this world. That's baseline. More needs to be said about that quote. But, but at its core, that is a church. Well, what about elders? What about deacons? All those things are necessary for a healthy New Testament church, but at its baseline meaning, that's what it means. Because that's exactly what we have right here in this text, okay? Notice the word devoted. Devoted. 
By the way, if you want to know more about the church, come to our new members class. And you're like, oh, class, that doesn't sound exciting. It, it will be. It, you know, it really will be because we don't do like the stuffy, boring, like get your notepad out. You can have a notepad, but it, we're going to talk about all these things more in depth, but give you a chance to talk back, to ask questions, to work through things, right? Um, because we want you to know if you're joining for the city church, we want you to know what we are because if you're saying, I want to be a part of this church, we want you to know what you're being a part of. We think we're very explicit on our website. We don't try to hide it. We don't have like, you know, bumper stickers of like Southern Baptists under our NASCAR driving down the road so no one hears about it. We're, we're not doing that. We're explicitly saying who we are, what we're about, and we want you to say, I want to be a part of that or I don't want to be a part of that. And that's okay. It really is okay. But I think as I talk to many of you, are like, no, I'm in. I want to be a part of this church. Okay? So that's what that'll mean. And so you can come to our new, test, our, uh, new members class. Devoted, that's the word I want to hone in on. A healthy church is devoted to Jesus and one another. It just is. What do they devote themselves primarily to? Let's look. The first thing we see is a healthy church is devoted to the Word. The Word, the Bible, right? To be devoted to Jesus is to be devoted to His Word. There's no other way, right? Because the Word of God is central to the life of a disciple. To be shaped and to be formed, to be more like Christ, is necessary to understand who Christ is. And if you're going to understand who Christ is, you have to know Him through His Word. He tells us who He is primarily through the Bible. Otherwise, you'll make a Jesus in your own image. I see it all the time. And I'm not, I'm not above it. I'm just telling you, many people say I love Jesus when I scratch at that and I ask, tell me about him. I love that. I love that you love Jesus. And they start to tell me about Jesus, not Jesus of the Bible. It's Jesus of their imagination. And it makes me sad because that Jesus of the imagination doesn't save. He doesn't save. He might not make you uncomfortable, but he does nothing for your soul. You need to know the Jesus of the Bible. And I'm not saying we know perfectly. We don't, but we're striving. This is why everything we do is to open up the Word of God, let the Word of God speak, right? Instead of just giving you a bunch of you know, health, wealth, prosperity tips, those might be helpful, but it's not going to be anything for your soul. You need the Word of God. You need the Word of God in a way that you can hear it, the way you can understand it. There's numerous ways to get it, and you've got to get it because we've got to be divert, devoted to the Word as a people, right? Why? Because you and I need a miracle of grace, and that comes through reading the Bible, believe it or not. There are times when I come to the Word of God, and I'll read it, and I might as well read many times. It feels like just the newspaper. I just I'm dry, yet you still got to keep coming you got to keep coming to the Word. But when you come to the Word, you need to ask God for a miracle. You need to ask Him to open the eyes of your heart to be able to see the stunning realities of who He is. Right? And, and there's many times like we get these trite sayings, and they might even be little incomplete pieces of the Bible, and those can be helpful. Those, they really can be. There can be this little Instagram thing that says a quote, but that's not a healthy enough diet. That's why as a church, we're working hard right now, joyfully laboring in reading the Word of God together throughout this year. But we've also, I think, chose a particular curriculum, if you want to call it that, um, that's helpful in for any baseline understanding of the Word of God because it has tons of videos, right? So it's called the Bible Project. 
And, and it starts to help us understand the totality, the meta-narrative of all that God is doing from the beginning and to the end and everything that happened in between. We're laboring. And some of you are going to get more, some of you are going to get less, but you're all going to get something if you come to the Word of God. I promise you, you will do that. You can't follow Jesus if you don't know the Bible. Therefore, we're going to labor to know. We're devoted to knowing the Word, to teaching the Word. And if you're going to be a part of this church, we want you to be devoted. And, and not out of duty, although there's times you have to read it out of duty, but out of delight. <laughs> Come to the Word, ask the Lord to just stir your affections for Him. And as you begin to see this unfolding picture of how much He loves sinners, and you start to understand, hey, I'm one of those, you'll start to understand the God of the universe sees you, He knows you, He loves you, He knit you in your mother's womb, He has a purpose for you, He's with you, He'll never leave you, He'll never abandon you. Why wouldn't we want to know Him? We want to know Him. I want you to know Him. I desperately want you to know and love Jesus and to love His church right? So, second thing we see is a healthy church is devoted to one another. Still in that same verse 42, right? You see it. They're devoted to one another. Following Jesus, listen, it's personal. It is absolutely personal. It's one thing the American church gets. It's individual in a sense because it's personal. You must respond to the message. Just being born into a Jesus family doesn't save you. It doesn't. My mommy and daddy love Jesus. Great. Do you love Jesus? Right? So that's the one thing that the American church gets is that it is personal. You must respond to the proclamation of the gospel. You must respond in repentance and you must respond in faith. But it is not individual. It's collective. You are saved to and for God and for a people. Okay? Much of our Western culture drives this individualism, right? And it undercuts the whole thought of community because our lives are so busy. They're so cluttered. We have no time for anything outside of our schedule, our work schedule. If you have kids that are in sports or, or you know, any other activities, all these different things. And we think those are all primary. So we fill our schedule with all of them. I just tell you right now, the, the family of God must be primary. You must devote. That means you're going to have to say no to things you want to do. That means you're going to have to say no to, to things that are even enjoyable and good at times for something that's actually greater. Something that's actually greater. In our culture, our individual needs and rights come way before the needs of the group. And that's just wrong. It's not biblical. It's not a biblical thought. It's not a thought of a, a gospel people. This past couple of years has shown that big time, right? As, as a world and as even a, a church culture, there's so many fractions so many divisions, and, and it's sad because we're divided, but, but the church must be unified. In order for that to happen, we need to be together. We've labored at this as a church plant. We've labored at it. This is why every Sunday after the sermon, we invite you to our home. Oh, I've never met you before. You're welcome. Come in. If you feel comfortable to do that, you might not, and that's okay if that's where you're at, right? But we would hope that eventually you're going to say, more than Sunday morning, I'm with these people, right? We get together throughout the week. I, I was hanging out with some guys last night watching a UFC fight. It wasn't a program. We didn't put it on the website. You might think, I can't believe Christian men watch UFC fights. I'm a Christian man. I watch UFC fights. They're like, that's the gladiators. No, it's not. They willingly do it. They get paid well, and they don't have to. Like, no one's throwing them to lions, right? 
But we hang out. We hang out. We enjoy one another. We love one another. We're devoted to one another. Okay? By the way, to do this, this kind of community is not easy, by the way. It's not easy. Uh, It's going to be really hard, and at times you're not going to want to do it. It's never perfect on this side of eternity. Um, However, it can be experienced as wonderful. I've experienced it as wonderful. I love the family of God. I love the church. So what does a church do? Well, I had all these amazing texts. I'm not going to read them because I'm running out of time. I've got a lot of things on my head and my heart that I want to share with you. But just know this. If you want them, I'll give them to you. It's all the one another. There's, there's 27 reciprocal commands in the New Testament. That's your one another. Bear with one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. I'm not going to read them. I already just said that. I have them all here if you want them. You could look them up on your own. But it's not just a community hanging out just doing all these fun things. It is a people committed to the Lord, committed to one another. And when we say committed to the Lord, we mean the Lord in the Bible and what he commands. Which is why, A, we must be committed to the word. Okay? Um, Being devoted to a church means investing your life in a gospel community of believers who joyfully serve one another and advance Jesus' mission together. It's family. It's family. I love my family. It has its issues just like every other family. But the sweetest family I've ever enjoyed, honestly, and it doesn't mean they're always sweet, they're not, is the church. It's the church. Um, next point, uh, sub-point, actually. A healthy church is devoted to breaking in bread. Here's what I'll say to that. I'm going to skip a lot. This is probably meaning the Lord's Supper, okay? Although I want you to know, it probably wasn't gluten-free bread and juice, It was probably much more a meal, which is why we really just want to keep having meals at our home because it's, it's, it's not magic like voodoo. It's just stunning. I love it when we get together, man. You hear the laughter, you hear the joy, you'll see the tears. You'll see people pray for one another and love one another. And it's all happening in that context, not that. But this is so important, which is why we do it every week, because we want to remember that we're a specific people, a people of Jesus who shed his blood and allowed his body to be broken to save a sinful, rebellious people. And it shows that it's a unified body when we receive it together with gladness. So we do that each week. The main point of that is the church is to remember the torn blood and the shed body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ. It's meant to stir your affections. It's meant to cause you to think about your life. It's meant to cause you to think about the way you're treating other people when you receive that, right? This is why, like, even Paul says, like, listen, if you have something against your brother, go handle your business before you even receive that. Don't put your hands on it. No, he said, that's why some of you are even sick because you're just taking it in an unworthy manner. It's so flippant. You just think it's like throwing a tic-tac in your mouth. No, what you're doing is way bigger than what you think you're doing in that moment many times. Right? And so we receive. 
The, the last sub point is a healthy church is devoted to prayer. This is so obvious, right? I mean, if you're going to be a church that, that accomplishes anything in the name of Jesus, you must be a prayerful people. We can't do anything apart from him. As we read through the book of Acts last year, we saw that the, the church prayed in the temple, in homes, as they walked along roads, as they encountered sick and afflicted, before they preached sermons, after they preached sermons, when they heard sermons, while they were being beat in severe affliction, while they offered thanks for food, they gave thanks to Jesus for forgiveness of sin, they prayed, they praised through song, through praying, all the while they came to the throne of grace to receive everything they desperately needed to do all that God has called them to do and if we don't do that well then we will not be a healthy church we might accomplish many things but none of them will be great things because we have such need such need I shared with with those who were helping set up earlier um just real quick, man, like I was reading a book this week and out of it falls this, this little in memory of, in memory of a dear friend of mine. His name is Jeremy Thomas. Love this dude. We grew up together. He died of a heroin overdose. And, um, and, and it reminded me why we, we just moved our family to plant a church. And then last night, I'm sitting there eating dinner and I see all the lights in, in my living room because it's shining through my window and there's a woman who I know struggles with a lot of things and she's getting carried out on a stretcher and I'm like, oh God, and I just prayed. I'm like, that's why we're here. It's why we moved. Because what they need, listen, what they need, if you're in crisis, what you have is who you have. You have him. But you and I can't make anyone believe this message. We so desperately need him to do that. We just need to joyfully lay down our lives to living, to serving, to magnifying Christ. And, and it's not dreadful. There's nothing else I'd rather do with my life than what we're doing. What we're doing. A healthy church is a church that prays because it, it just realizes our great need. Also within that text, what you'll see is the church is unified. It's extremely generous. Right? And generosity shows itself in, in money, but in time, in talents, in everything. My whole life, it's yours, right? It, Lord, whatever you want, I'm a living sacrifice. It shows itself constantly and intentionally living life together as they went to the temple, as they went here, as they went there. They went together, gathering both in large and small groups. But lastly, I want you to notice this the church was joyful. It was joyful. And because it was joyful, it was attractional. It was attractional in all the right ways. And it actively sought those outside the faith. You see it in verse 47. Several decades ago, there was a great Welsh preacher named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Love this guy. Um, don't agree with all his theology, but I love him. And he underscores, underscores the need for a joyful church. Listen to this quote. Listen to this quote. The greatest need of the hour is a revived and joyful church. Unhappy Christians, and when he says that, he doesn't mean de depressed Christians, because the man devoted his life to caring for those who were spiritually depressed. He was a doctor, like medicine, and he was a preacher, and he brought both those worlds together to care for very sad, hurting, crying Christians, believers. But I want you to know, he's saying unhappy Christians, right, are a poor recommendation for the faith. The exuberant joy of the early church was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity. By the way, it was in the midst of great suffering, by the way. 
Like, just study the early church. They were beat and they left rejoicing that they were considered worthy to be beat for the name of Christ. That's compelling. You, you, you see that? Like, I get a hang now and I'm like, oh, Lord, really? Right? Like, they were suffering at the hands of Rome, and yet they continued to come together, pray together, love one another, share everything they had. And people kept looking at them and saying, what is up with this people? It was compelling. Well, guess what? America right now in our time is very sad, very fractured. Very, I mean, people are fighting with anxiety and depression at high levels because of isolation and a thousand other things that were already there, but were naturally highlighted because of everything that's happened over the last two years. But guess what? As we go, our, our guys go out on Thursday nights to just enjoy life and enjoy talking about the Lord, enjoy, you know, food. We laugh. We enjoy, not flippantly, like very intentionally, and it's a compelling witness to the point we have some guys coming around us saying, what's your deal? What's your deal? And we unashamedly tell them what our deal is, and we testify to Christ. Listen, this is compelling if this church continues to gather, continues to love the Lord, continues to imperfectly love one another, ask forgiveness when you sin against one another, and keep persevering in love, this city will recognize. And when they do, be ready to give an account for why you have a joy that's truly unshakable, even though you might have tears rolling down your eyes when you say it. Because life is hard. The gospel of grace should naturally overflow into exuberant joy as we consider all that Christ has done for us in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. It should, right? All of this is in the context of a church. Um, joy is, is caught and experienced, and as it does, it increases. That's what we see throughout this New Testament book. Um, real quick story, we're going to land on the last point and it will not take long. Uh, the church I used to pastor, there was a, a couple there that they were at a wedding, dead, lost, basically hugging trees and worshiping creation. No joke, not kidding. They were like hobbits without the hairy feet. And they were at a Christian wedding and they get up and they're proclaiming the gospel. But what they saw was at the end of that, everybody loving one another, celebrating one another, enjoying one another. And they just said, what are you? Okay, and the pastor at that time, Mark Altrogi, shares the gospel with them. They believe the gospel, and they've been walking faithfully with the Lord for over 30 years now, and it was because that wedding was so compelling to them. So compelling to them. Your witness matters. Individually, corporately, it matters. That gives us many times avenues and bridges to share and to testify to the greatness of God, because you and I are not a great people apart from His grace. We're not. We're a sinful people, a broken people, but he makes us a new people. And that's stunning. And when we're walking with the Lord and when we're loving one another, it shows. It shines, right? Now, the last piece, it's the last point. I want you to see this. So we're going to be about planting churches because that's really what Jesus is doing through his disciples until he returns. That's what he's doing, okay? Uh, third point, Jesus passionately loves his church. Um, Setting the scene here. I was at a place called The Commonplace. If you've not been there, you should go there. They have numerous places. Look it up on the Google. You'll find some, right? They're in Pittsburgh. They're in Indiana. They're different places. Good coffee shop. 
owned by a really dear friend of mine. I love it. I used to do all my sermon writing and reading there because it was on IUP's campus. And many times I could interact with a lot of different people while I did that. One day, in walks a man, and he's got a stack of books like this. And you can see it. It's a big, bold writing, like theology and all of this stuff. And I'm like, hey, this is cool. I go and I introduce myself. I do that frequently. Not as much now. I need to get past that. But I would do it then. And I was like, hey, man, so I see your books. Like, going to school? Tell me your story. He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to seminary. I was like, cool, where? He's like, you know, I won't say that because they'd be ashamed. Um, and, and so he says, and, um, and we start to dialogue in the conversation. And as we're dialoguing, I'm like, that's awesome, man. It's like, natural question, right? Where do you go to church? That's a good question. He went, where do you go to church? He says, I actually don't go to church. I said, why are you going to seminary? He goes, I'm going to seminary to be a pastor. I said, well, what will you be a pastor of? answer to the church. Um, I was like, why, why don't you have a church? He's like, I actually don't really like the church. I was like, help me understand that. He said, like, I love Jesus, but I actually, I hate the church. Now, if you know me, I don't hide my feelings well. My face is red. There's a vein coming out here. I'm asking the Holy Spirit for the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, feeling self-control. Lord, I need self-control. And I'm just like, what do you mean you don't love the church? How do you say you love Jesus but you don't love the church? By the way, you might have said that. Quit it. Quit it. Stop it. Why? Because it's Jesus' bride. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to love me, love my wife. And if you come up to me and you're like, Scott, I really like you, but Jess, I don't like her at all. We got problems. <laughs> and we, they can be reconciled. We can work through them. But you and I are going to have some serious problems. Now, here's the thing. Jess and I are fallen people. You might have reasons, and they might be legit not to like us. But you say to Jesus, you don't like his bride. He's very, very passionate about his bride. How passionate? The obvious answer is, so passionate, he was willing to die for her, not while she was lovable. See, you and I would die for people that we love and that are lovable. Jesus willingly died for his bride while she was a scandalous bride, doing all the things she ought not do. She was so unfaithful, worshiping other gods, pursuing other things, wanted nothing to do with her husband, and yet Jesus willingly went to the cross, opened up his arms in a great big gesture of love, received the wrath that each one of us deserved, and he received it knowing that this is the only way that this imperfect people can enjoy life with my Father. And I love you so much, I will shed my blood to save you. That's the church. Jesus died for the church, for the bride, for the people that would come to faith and know him. Jesus is passionate about his bride. Therefore, you and I need to be very passionate about his church. And if we could be real, many times we're, we're just kind of indifferent. We're just kind of indifferent towards the church. You know, if it fits my schedule, maybe. But we complain about it. But every time you complain about the church, I want you to think that's Jesus' bride. And so instead of complaining about it, why don't you pray for the church? 
Listen, the church has its issues, and, and, and I'm thankful because there's times, not I'm thankful that, that they have issues, but I'm thankful that we've been working to expose some of those things because we don't want to just be like, love it in spite of all the sin. No, we get out that sin. We, we continue to work and labor towards purifying a people so that we shine bright in a city, right? But the way this city will know Jesus' disciples it's not a mystery. Jesus said, you will know my disciples by how they love one another. And if there's infighting within the church and not reconciling when there needs to be reconciling and not asking forgiveness when there needs to be asking forgiveness and just leaving and going to another place because they have better coffee and a cool preacher and this and that, the world will say, you're no different than any other social club I've ever met. But if you will just roll up your sleeves and say, this is my people. To my people, until the Lord moves me, till something happens that is like absolutely opposite of what the Bible says, I commit myself to the Lord. I commit myself to you. If you'll do that in five years, I guarantee you right now, this city would know if we left. It would know if we left. But I want to tell you right now, many churches, if they closed up their doors right now, the city would not have a clue or a care. Let me ask you right now, do you want to be a part of a church that when they close up their doors, which I pray we don't until Jesus returns, if, if the city said, who, what, for the, huh? Or do you want to be a part of a people that says, man, I know they're not here. Because I experienced love from them. I experienced grace from them. And when I saw them, I saw a picture of hope. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. To do that, you've got to love the things Jesus loves. And what Jesus loves is his church. His church. There comes a point where you reach critical mass. I don't know what that is, but when that happens, every church has a decision. Will we build a monstrosity that looks like a mall, or will we send people away that we love to do it again? I want you to know right now, we will send. We will send. We want to be a church that plants churches, not builds empires. That's what we're about. And if you're like, well, I'm there. I'm in that. Good. Keep coming. We love having you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this people. Thank you for loving your church. Thank you for rescuing your bride. Thank you for saving a rebellious people because that's all we are. We are a sinful people, Lord. And yet you willingly and joyfully came to save, to rescue by living the life we could never live, by dying the death we deserve to die, and by triumphantly resurrecting from the grave, showing that you have done it all. It is finished. It's so finished. This war is over, even though the battle rages. It's so good to know that you've done it all, and we're in you, and we know how this thing ends. So, Lord Jesus, help us love and be faithful to the end, until the day you return, until the day we drop. Continue to build your church. We know you will. You promised you will. You're a faithful God. We love you. We praise you. Continue to help us, Lord. Put us in the lives of the people that you want us to know. We know there are lost sheep in this city that are part of the family and they need to come home put them in our lives help us to see them help us to know them help us to love them we need much grace to do that in christ's name amen